Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. So it's back to school, sort of. For as long as I can remember, this time of year was full of nervous energy, new genes, and early morning wake-ups. But this year is different. For millions of kids, including my three scrubs, back to school this year doesn't even require leaving the house. Distance learning has created new and different challenges for teachers, kids, and parents. And today on the show, I speak with Dr. Rebecca Brandstetter, a school psychologist, speaker, author, and the founder of the Thriving School Psychologist Collective, an online community dedicated to improving mental health in public schools. Rebecca is dedicated to giving parents simple strategies they can use to help their family navigate through these challenging circumstances. You can check out her new course on Commune called Peace of Mind Parenting at onecommune.com parenting. Rebecca's course offers a toolbox of techniques to manage stress, your own and your children's, so you can focus on what's really important, connecting as a family. We talk a lot about these strategies on the podcast today. I hope you enjoy. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. I am here in Topanga Canyon with Dr. Rebecca Brandstetter. Yes, I like the accent. Thank you. I've been practicing for years. You're a psychologist, a PhD. You have a specialization in school psychology, correct? That's right. And uh, we're going to talk about a whole variety of different things. We're going to riff like improv- improvisational jazz, which I know now that your husband is very interested in. We shared mutual love of West Montgomery, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about kids and parents and teachers and what the heck is going on with online learning or distance learning. Um, and when we went into quarantine or shelter in place um, in March, I think that this affected 1 billion or 1.2 billion students around the world that were all of a sudden thrust into a completely new environment for learning, for online learning. Um, some institutions were more ready for it than others, but many did not have a plan for this. And of course, how could they? Um, we are still in the midst of a lot of uncertainty. And we know that there is a relationship between uncertainty and anxiety and stress. And we can talk about that. But I believe that 17 out of the 20 major K through 12 school districts are still not open or planning to open or in some state of liquid disarray. We don't even know. In fact, two minutes before you walked in the door, I got a notification that Texas has now given up. They've, they're not opening their schools. Too many cases. I know you're from the Bay Area. Nothing going on. I have three daughters. I'm from the LA area. We're learning at home again. I think school starts tomorrow or maybe on Thursday. You have two daughters, beautiful little nuggets with bathing caps on outside. They're going to be learning at home. Um, California, uh, uh, the California um, university system, that's a half a million people. They're adjusting and all learning online and we are ill prepared for this and so we're just kind of writing the playbook as we go and that's why I'm excited to talk with you because I think you can provide us very valuable guidance in terms of how we manage the stress and the anxiety as parents as school administrators as children for dealing with um, for dealing with the unknown, 
So lots of those things to jump in and talk about, but maybe to start, could you give us a little bit of framework of who you are, what has been your life's work, what's been your life's work before COVID, what's your life's work now, um, and, uh, and how that informs this particular moment. Yeah, lots to unpack. Yeah. There are many, many layers to this. Look, parenting is tough under regular circumstances. Parenting in a pandemic is a whole new layer of challenge. And becoming, you know, the lead teacher of Brandstetter Elementary whilst working is, <laughs> right. um, you know, we have two teachers at right. Brandstetter and Elementary. And two students. <laughs> two students. <laughs> That's a good ratio. That's a better ratio. It's a good ratio. Yeah. Um, it has presented with many, many challenges. My background is I'm a school psychologist for the past 20 years in the Bay Area. And as a school psychologist, I am on the front lines of... Um, the intersection between children's emotion, behavior, and learning skills, and how that interacts with their environment. So when parents come to me, they often have concerns. My child isn't succeeding academically or not making friends, or you know, school psychologists are tasked with looking system-wide, like how can we support all students um, with you know, anxiety or stress under regular circumstances, and how can we do it in this moment? So school psychologists are tasked with both prevention activities, seeing what kids need on a global sense in all of our public schools, and then also individually. So working with students individually who maybe have a higher level of care. So what's so interesting about this is I work a lot with families and kids who have additional needs, right? And it could look like learning needs, attention, emotional challenges, things like that. And when the pandemic hit, we realized very quickly as parents and as a community that all of our kids had additional needs mm. in this moment. And that is because we were all under an exorbitant amount of stress, uncertainty, and we're still living in that today. Like you said, it's like building a sandcastle on the beach. Like, ah, oh, I have a plan. This is my plan. And then a wave comes and knocks it out. And like, And we're rebuilding. I have no castle left. <laughs> we build another one. And we're all set for, you know, returning to school and nope, just kidding, it's distance. Nope, just yeah. kidding, it's this. Yeah, so it's really it, hard. It's very hard. And I suppose, um, I hope, well, this whole pandemic has put a microscope on the disparities, socioeconomic disparities. And so I think it's, it's also important to call out um, that for underserved communities or disadvantaged com communities, that don't have the ability to necessarily, for parents don't have the ability to stay at home um, or don't have high-speed internet connection, or sometimes there's a computer that's shared amongst the whole family, this creates a whole nother level of stress um, for a ton of families. And in a way, I mean, you know, it's like, I think when COVID started, there was this sense of like, oh, this is a great equalizer. It doesn't discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or race or anything. And, and, and in a way, maybe this is an opportunity that can bring us together and can unite us around a common cause. Unfortunately, at least in America, we haven't really seen that as much. And in fact, we've seen a lot of the opposite, that it has shown a light or, or put a microscope on some of the economic disparities and some of the differences. And so, you know, I, I wonder if you can address what you think are some of the, the top challenges for families, both parents and children, and maybe provide us with some basic tools or at least some ideas on how to tackle what's inevitably going to be a very difficult and, and uncertain moment. Yeah, I think first to your point about COVID has really magnified or amplified existing inequalities. And that's becoming very increasingly clear as this sort of distance learning round two is emerging and a lot of more affluent families are like, well, great, we'll hire a private tutor to augment the curriculum and we'll have a learning pod. Well, not everyone has that financial opportunity or you know social capital to pull together 
you know, these kind of things. And like you said, the internet bandwidth and things like that are, and, you know, I think we're realizing that schools, you know, are very much more than just learning about academics. Yeah. Some students and populations, that's where they get their food. Yeah. Um, and that's where they get their, um, their social emotional support. That's where kids with special needs get specialized instruction. So I know I'm just sort of agreeing with you and identifying the problem. When we think about solutions, I think it's actually more about uh, a mindset shift for mm-hmm. parents. So at least for what I'm observing, uh, we know that anxiety is um, something that trickles down. When parents are stressed, our kids are stressed. No matter how good you think you are at shielding it, <laughs> they pick up on your stress. Yeah. And so communities who are worried about where their next meal is coming from and where they're, you know, what they're going to do about childcare, those stressors trickle down to our kids. And so when we think about how we can support um, one another and families during this, we really need to think about what is the essence of how to support parents. And I think the mindset shift for one is giving yourself grace as a parent. So I want to encourage people who are like, I'm homeschooling my child to think about it a little bit differently. You're not homeschooling your child, even though you think you are, <laughs> you are giving your child distance learning at home during a global pandemic under stress. So I think that that mindset shift gives you permission to not do it perfectly. And really right now, our kids don't need us to be perfect parents and teach them, you know, the difference between an isosceles and scalene triangle. And I don't remember the difference. Scalene? (laughs) (laughs) What our kids need is not for us to be perfect parents, um, but to be present parents. Yeah. And the fact that we have all collectively been sent to our rooms to think about what we've done (laughs) during this pandemic to education, to each other, to the planet, is actually an opportunity, I think, to think about what is the most essential piece of parenting. What is the one thing that protects people under stress? And that one thing for all humans, and especially for children, is connection. Mm. And I use the phrase often, Uh, Before this, and especially now, connection is protection. So right now, if you can shift your lens from I am, you know, homeschooling and I'm not doing it right, or I'm failing at balancing home and work and I'm not doing either thing really well, and you as a parent might be feeling like you're falling short all the time or your fuse is short, I invite you to think about uh, the context, right? I am parenting in a pandemic. And one of my um, favorite happiness researchers, uh, Natalie uh, Kogan, gave this really great technique for this that I've been using. And it's when you, as a parent, beat yourself up for not doing it right. Oh gosh, my, I can't remember scaling triangle or my kid's not doing this worksheet and it's really easy or I'm not giving my full self to uh, my work right now because I'm distracted or I can't even get through a Zoom call without my kids crawling all over me or whatever. <laughs> my house is a mess or, you know, whatever it is, whatever criticisms coming to your mind as a parent right now, add the phrase in a global pandemic to the end. My house is a ripe royal mess in a global pandemic. My kid is not finishing their math worksheet in a global pandemic. I am not able to give my full attention to my work in a global pandemic. It's sort of like um, in the fortune cookie where you add like in bed to the end, <laughs> only different. Yeah, I think <laughs> add, I prefer the in, latter. And <laughs> in former. a global pandemic. Yeah. Um, so it's about giving yourself grace, um, but also it's about distilling your parenting down to the very essence of what our kids need right now. And what our kids need, it's less about academics and about making sure that they complete all of their activities to the letter That's important, but really what's important right now is that they feel safe, they feel connected, they feel like they belong, and those things can be done. Those things are in our control. So much is out of our control. But we can connect with our kids, and that protects them from stress. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose, like you say, this is a good moment to potentially make this realization around connection that hopefully can transcend this moment 
right? Because it's this isn't that idea isn't only applicable to a family within a global pandemic. And this is, you know, like I think it's very hard to hold the disparity of human experiences that are happening in the world right now. There are people that are suffering on just a whole spectrum, you know, from obviously folks that are have paid the ultimate price, but people on the front lines, people losing their job, people scrambling to, you know, um, to educate their children all across the board. Um, and it, it's hard and, and potentially not compassionate to, to dream about the new world story that might weave its way out of this. But on the, at the same moment, I do believe that it is important to focus somewhat on the opportunities that exist within this collective grief that people are going through. And, you know, we've seen the human spirit cohere, and then we've seen humanity cohere in the past around um, times of great collective grief or challenge, you know, whether that's World War II or after 9-11 and many other examples. You know, um, I just read a book by Sebastian Younger about called Tribe, which is just an unbelievable examination around how human beings form community in times of adversity. And so I'm hopeful that we can take some of these lessons and apply them not only to the current moment, but hopefully to future moments. Yeah, and I think that, look, stress is not unique to times of coronavirus. This existed yeah. beforehand. Anxiety and stress has been on the rise in our kids and ourselves and things like that. And this is an opportunity to take stock of what we can do about that. One of the greatest gifts I think we can give our children during this time um, is the ability to cope with stress. And you and I talked about this earlier, but for better or for worse, our kids are learning a lot by what they see us doing. Mm -hmm. So when all of this started, of course, as a school psychologist, I grabbed my toolkit of things and I sat down, we had a family meeting, and here's our calming menu, and we all generated things we do when we're stressed and what helps us. And so the kids generated like, oh, pet the dog, or color, or bounce outside on a trampoline, or um, take three deep breaths, and I picked things that I do when I need to calm myself, and my husband picked his, and things like that. And we pre-planned this, you know, kind of in the moment. And as a very powerful story is, my little one, who you've met, she um, is in kindergarten. So they're not developmentally, you know, sort of ready to sit on Zoom like an adult. Right. <laughs> right. It's just, it's really tough. And so she hit her breaking point and uh, started melting down. And I, I hate word sorting. I get nothing to do with the word sort. Like, I hate word sorting and I hate this platform or whatever. And in that moment, I said, let's go to our calming toolkit that we'd already pre-developed, not in the moment. And she went through it and she saw, you know, as you do, we got a quarantine puppy. <laughs> yeah, we got two kitties. Yeah. And she's like, pet the puppy or whatever, right? So she went and she's like petting the dog and she comes and comes back. And I said, okay, well, what was going through your brain? What thoughts popped in your head when you saw that word sorting activity? And she looks at me and she goes, mama, I miss my friends. It was nothing to do with distance learning. It had nothing to do with academics. She could do the word sorting activity. She was having a hard time with the emotions. So as a parent, it was a moment where I realized that this is an opportunity to teach our kids how we deal with stress. Mm -hmm. So if you're stressed as a parent and you can model for your kids, and I did this many times, I went to the calming menu and was like, okay, I'm going to take a walk outside right now. And they're like, okay, she's calming down we can model for our kids how to work with stress. And a little bit of stress is actually a teachable moment on how to develop social, emotional, calming, verbal expression. There's, there's these social, emotional learning skills. When we have our kids at home, there's an opportunity now to teach them to cope with stress. Yeah. And is this actually like a proper kit, like a first aid kit with like adhesive tape and, and 
and uh, you know hydrogen peroxide. And I'm joking, but do you actually make a physical kit? Like you write these things down, or is this a sort of a a mental vision? It's actually written down because kids are visual. Um, another activity that we're doing as we're doing round two. So kids have, and especially little ones, they have two time zones, now and not now. And they're not really thinking about later. As they get older, they can think a couple of days in advance, right? And right now, as we're you know about to jump back, my kids are going back on Thursday. And by going back, I mean going back to my kitchen table. Yeah. <laughs> and we did an activity that was very visual, which was I drew a picture of a little girl and I put a thought bubble and I said, draw to me what you think school is going to look like. If things go well, what does it look like? And I had each of my girls do it. And my little one drew a picture of herself at the kitchen table with the puppy in her lap and no one's helping her. Hmm. My other one drew a picture of herself in the bedroom with a puppy on her lap and no one's helping her. So I know now as a parent, that's their future sketch Hmm. for what distance learning it's going to look like. That is not the sketch that my husband and I had in mind. <laughs> First off, the puppy cannot be sitting on both of their laps, right? And puppy's not going to sit anyway because he's a puppy. But my point is that if you can kind of prime your kids for what's coming, what's on deck, and get a sense of what they think and what, and you can pre-plan this. Okay, so what will you do if you get stressed out? What's on your menu? And you can, it all it takes is a piece of paper, y'all get a piece of paper and you write down, these are the things that make me feel calm. And you'll soon discover that some things might be not compatible. My husband, who you jammed about uh, West Montgomery too, is very musical and loves to sing as a de-stressor. Mm. And I am someone who likes quiet, peaceful <laughs> moments to de-stress. <laughs> and so because we Perfectly do this Perfectly compatible, advance, yeah. And we're all in one small space, and I don't have an office. I do Zoom calls from my garage office, which is a garage office. Um, We have to figure out ways to collaborate and uh, problem solve together. These are developmental skills that we can harness during this time. Yeah. I think I've turned into a, a kid a little bit in terms of my maturity level to deal with some of the challenges because our whole company is working from home. Um, and my three daughters, as I said, and my wife is also working from home. So, you know, it's bananas. And, you know, I go to work nowhere. I just work right there. But I still, for me, need to put in an entire work day. And I have flexibility to apportion the hours as I want to some degree. But you know, there is a temptation, especially amongst my wife and I, because she knows that I'm home and not in an office and vice versa, that she's like, oh, well, can you take Lolly to dance and pick up this at the thing? And and I'm like, well, but actually, this is a this is a work day, but it's not a work day anymore. And sometimes I get I have degrees of frustration with that because I'm like, I'm not what I do is not being respected like it potentially once was where, you know, I went to an office. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> anyways, so I need to grow up and also be patient and be flexible and know that working from home is, it's a work-life integration and I would argue that there's a slight shift on what you said, which a lot of parents have the same experience, and I do as well. I'm like, no, this is a work day. Like, I can't, right. you know, come and do this thing or that thing, right? And I would say you're not working from home. That's like a conscious choice, and your kids would typically be at school if you were working from home. Um, you are working at your home during a global pandemic <laughs> right. whilst trying to distance yeah. learning at your, you know, your three daughters. So it's a slight shift, but I think work-life balance is not possible yeah. in general or during COVID in particular. If there were any work-life blurred boundaries before, they are magnified now because the environment doesn't change. At least, you know, when you came home from work now, it's, your brain will shift over to like 
this is now downtime, right? And since we don't have that anymore, we have to be really aware. So I would, um, I would argue that it's not about balance. Like I do this many hours of dadding and this many hours of working. It's being in alliance with your intention. My intention is to work until this amount of time and then be with my family and my brain is also with my family. Yeah. And so that perfect work-life balance is a myth. It's really about work-life um, alliance. Am I being intentional with my time? And um, when I am working, my brain is working. And when I am you know, being a, a mom or a dad, my brain is being a mom or dad. And it's really, really challenging when you are working in your home during a global pandemic with everybody like on top of each other. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah, I do find that the world at large, your work community and your colleagues tend to give, provide more grace than you might even provide yourself. Um, because everyone is grappling with this. It spares no one, you know. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I'm in on Zoom calls all the time where there's toddlers you know, going through the background of the Zoom and, you know, I'm talking to some executive <laughs> and, and she's like, oh, sorry, <laughs> um, you know, but, and I'm like, no big deal. That's yeah. just what's going on. Um, you know, one of the, one of the, one other, you know, question that I had that comes from my own personal experience um, is the distance learning, I think, can be can work in some ways, um, because like my eldest daughter, she it gives her the ability to almost learn at her own speed. So she can, if she's would have been otherwise bored in the classroom, relearning something for the ninth time that she's already learned, she can, you know, speed ahead. And learn at her own speed. And I think that it's given some sort of freedom in, for kind of individual pacing of learning. And there's probably some other positive attributes to, to distance learning. And it might be to some degree here to stay. Um, because I think people's patterns and habits are changing. But where she has really, really struggled is in the peer-to-peer -peer interaction component. Now, she's 15. And her friends are like the entire world to her. But but this could also apply um, clearly to to your youngest, who's six, right? Um, and and anywhere in between, because when you're a kid, a it's partially I think just the friendship and the conviviality and camaraderie that you can only get from people that are your age. But it's also an intrinsic part of learning that we just take for granted. So how do we infill there or, or can we, is it possible for parents to solve or, or address that Rubik's cube of, of the peer to peer interaction? Yes. You bring up something that is so critical is that I think we all knew this in advance, but we, it's really becoming amplified that schools are so much more than academics. It's where children learn social, emotional, cooperation skills, all of those interpersonal skills, and especially the littles, they really learn by interacting with other peers, um, group work, all of those things is where um, our kids learn those things. And so, you know, you're lucky enough you have, you know, siblings and they can learn from each other in some sense, but um, having your same age peers in your learning environment is really critical. And there's nothing really in this moment that fosters that. So what I do with my own kids and I, I do recommend is you have to make a distinction between, um, you know, do your kids want to process or do they want to problem solve? So think about it like this. Processing would be, it's so, so hard that you can't see your best friend. It's so, so hard. You can't see your boyfriend. I don't know if she has a boyfriend. Oh, yeah, she does. <laughs> How do we feel about We'll go on that later. That's a separate He's a session. He's a lovely, lovely okay. boy. I actually very fond of him. So you're right. As a teenager, you probably remember when you were a teenager, your friends are everything, right? So I invite you to think about, like, does, does my daughter want to process, like, how bad this sucks? And many times that is what, the only thing we can do as parents is say 
empathy statements such as, man, it makes sense that you would feel that way. Mm. And what we know about empathy is that when you lean in with empathy, that actually sometimes is enough. If you think about, say, you would never have a bad day at work. I'm sure of it. But if you did, and you came home and told your wife, man, I had a really rough day, and she went straight to problem solving, okay, well, here's how we fix this. Here's how we can figure it out. Well, you know, and starts going down some sort of checklist of ways to solve your problem. That's not what you really needed in that moment, probably. You probably needed her to say, wow, that's, that's tough. Tell me what happened. And that's what we can do with our kids. Look, my little one had her sixth birthday, and we had a party all planned, and it was a duck theme. She loves ducks. She's really enjoying the chickens here on campus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she loves them. And, you know, all of her little buddies. And if you think about it, when you're six, like, this is it. That's the, you know, so it's exciting. the apex of the year. Yeah. So can I solve that as a parent in this moment? No. But I can lean in with empathy and say, wow, it's so, so hard. And, you know, when she's, you know, calm about that, then we can go to problem solving. So do we want to plan it for when all this is done? Do we want a drive a a parade? parade? And she says, I want a drive parade because her little buddy had done that. And so her kindergarten teacher, bless her heart, she was the grand marshal of her birthday parade. And we put out balloons and we did the best we could under the circumstances. We had all these duck balloons on this chair and she's like the queen of all the ducks or whatever and had all her duckies laid out. And, and I mean, I teared up because she could see her light up that her teacher was there. You know, when you're little, like you think your teacher just lives at school and you see him out of context, you're like, oh, oh my <laughs> gosh, right. right? And she got to see her buddies and they honked and waved and such. And so was it as cool as the original plan? No. Um, was I able to solve that problem for her? No. But I was able to lean in with empathy. And with mm-hmm. older kids, you can straight up ask them, do you want to just like process how bad this is right now? Or do you want to problem solve? And we may not be fully problem solving, but we can, you know, do some safe social distancing bike rides. Or we can, you know, one of my, my eldest loves Harry Potter. And she had a sleepover plan that, of course, was canceled with her bestie. And so um, after I lent in with empathy, if you go straight to problem solving, it's no bueno. (laughs) Like, it does not go well. Just like when you have a hard day, you want people to be like, it's tough first. And once we process that, she said, well, what if we watched it together and timed it at the same time? So that's what we did. Mm -hmm. Was that perfect? No. Um, But she loved it. Because they watched it at the same time and there was like a little bit of delay. So, you know, Snape said something like always and then I was echo like always and then they giggled about it. And it was not the same as the sleepover, but it felt connected to her and she felt heard that that was hard and she wanted to see her friend and she still wanted to watch Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. So you're stressing connection, empathy, um, really providing like you said, really separating that notion from I'm homeschooling my kids to really I'm just creating a support system of empathy and compassion inside a global pandemic. Are there other tools more specifically geared around learning that you feel like you need to infill that might be missing from a, you know, a zoom lesson and that might be uh, i don't know anything from you know helping your child develop a specific interest that now there's a little bit more time so maybe we can go deeper there and that might be art or piano or anything like that but i'm curious more just like is there an opportunity within this time to develop other kinds of skills that aren't necessarily being taught through school Zoom lessons. Absolutely. And I want to speak to like two points. First is around structure. Hmm. So now is, you know, the time to build a structure and make sure that that is, this is what we do and this is next and then we do this, right? And structure is really handy for anxiety and uncertainty. It's more important to be predictable than pleasant. If it's predictable, and we know this is going to happen that can reduce yours and your kids' anxiety. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't go to plan, 
It's an opportunity for collaboration. I noticed that you went on YouTube instead of doing your math. Um, what's up, right? It's not accusatory, like how dare you? You're supposed to be 100% focused. Look, adults are not 100% focused. Let's not put expectations on our kids that we don't even do. I certainly have deviated from my task at hand to do other things on the internet. Um, so it's an opportunity to collaborate and problem solve. But what to your point about what is what is learning? Learning, yes, on Zoom, yes, academics, yes, Google Slides or whatever it is that your families, students, your schools are producing for you. Building that into a structure, this is work time. But I want to invite anyone listening to also schedule the fun, schedule connection time. For little ones, it can be as little as 10 minutes following their lead, what they want to do. I'm playing beanie boos or whatever with my little ones. They want to play hide and seek. They want to go on a scavenger hunt. We want to be in the backyard with a puppy. Even just 10 minutes of focused one-on-one time with your child is connection and, and, and they feel seen and heard. So it doesn't have to be a big do. Um, but I think it is also an opportunity to dive deeper into some other skills And I don't see them as necessarily disconnected. So for instance, I'm really surprised at what my kids can do independently now that I have, like, I can observe them all day long. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So when school was in session, you know, I would make their dinner or make their breakfast and make their lunch and make their, like, I did all the things. And when they woke up, oh, it's all done for you, right? And, you know, one time I was on Zoom and my husband was working and I came over and I saw my kids, they were like preparing eggs. (laughs) <laughs> like they were flipping it and like doing a good job. And I was like, oh my gosh, this whole time you knew how to cook. <laughs> like right. Knew, right? <laughs> and so now they, you know, they kind of love cooking and one wants to be a pastry chef and one's a sous chef and, and they help dad with cooking. And guess what? Cooking builds what we call executive function skills, which is a fancy schmancy term for planning, organizing, and following through. Hmm. And that's what kids are learning in school too. How do you plan? I have an essay. How do I plan for it? What's my topic sentence? And I'm going to follow through and I'm going to stick with it to completion. And cooking can be a math lesson, right? Look, there's fractions involved. My eldest is in fourth, going into fourth. And so we're all about the fractions. And we cut up apples and, you know, did math integrated in cooking, which is something that she liked to do. You can do out backyard science. Um, there's all kinds of ways yeah. to integrate um, the concepts that they're learning into real life um, things you can do at home. I think the cooking one is an excellent example. And this has been happening in my family just organically without necessarily thinking about it. Um, but like you said, you don't half fry an egg. You know, you, you actually have to do that to completion and then put it on a plate and eat it. And I think that there is a, I think in our modern culture, the tendency towards lack of focus, a lack of being able to pay focused attention to things. And there's a million reasons why in social media and, you know, being, you're no, you're getting pinged and dinged in 10,000 different directions. And that's prohibiting our ability to have long wave thoughts or often to actually complete or finish something and cooking is a great way to address that because you're really you're not gonna half bake some cookies and then just give up right you have to or if you do you learn from that and you realize "Hmm, i should have read the directions or whatever it is so it's a learning opportunity as well and i think there's many things that you know even with teenagers you can find to connect around and when you're in the same space and maybe it's even a small space like an apartment and you're on top of each other and like it's very um there's a lot of togetherness <laughs> yeah um you can find these moments where you can oh well maybe i'm not into minecraft like as an individual but my you know 13 year old son or whatever is into minecraft and what if you just sat down next to your son if you have one and, and say well, what, wait what do you guys how does that work right and just be interested in what they're interested in. Mm, and yeah. you don't have to love it. Um, but if you, I mean, you can probably think of conjure up moments in your childhood where like your parents joined you on something. Um, and it was just fun because they saw you. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a beautiful, lovely idea to spend some concentrated, devoted time understanding what your kids are interested in, what makes them tick, what makes them passionate, even though that might not be a passion of yours at all. Like, for example, for my middle daughter, she is an 
avid dancer. She dances four times a week, two and a half hours a day. And I'm, I mean, I'm like, you know, a cow on ice, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I'm not, I have other strong attributes, um, but like a, you know, um, a, a fleet-footed dancers is not one of them. Um, and, you know, I don't know the difference between, well, now I do, but like hip hop and lyrical and tap and whatever, all the ballet and all the different, you know, all the different positions and things like that. And then, you know, one day, maybe two months ago, I sat down with Lolly, my middle daughter, and I asked her just to teach me about dance. Mm. And I just was absolutely focused and I learned as much as I possibly could absorb. And two days later, my wife Skylar came to me and, and said, you know, Lolly told me that you asked her all about her dance. And she was so excited that you asked me, that you asked her about it and that you remembered and you, and then she quizzed you and you were able to, you know, answer some of the questions right. And then I realized, God, that just that little bit of effort of really trying to get into her skin, which I suppose is empathy, um, and understand what made her passionate and tick made such a difference and really cemented an even deeper level of connection than we already have. So, yeah, it. that's a perfect example. And I think that sometimes when kids are under stress and certainly distance learning can trigger some of that and there can be power plays of, no, you need to, and I don't want to, right? If you think about kids, they don't often say, I feel stressed about X, Y, or Z. They may show up as, um, their stress might show up as behavioral challenges, particularly kids with additional needs, kids who have learning or attention or emotional challenges, it could show up as yelling at you. It could show up as withdrawing to your room and slam on the door, right? And I think that one of the things that's been a really great empathy builder is um, if you think about in those moments, my child is not giving me a hard time. My child is having a hard time. And when you think about it that way, it opens up empathy. My kid's not acting out to like ruin my day. No one, wake, no kid wakes up and be like, how am I going to ruin dad's day? <laughs> right? Yeah. And so if we can think about that, that they're having a hard time. And my point is that it loops back to your story in that connection actually builds a foundation. And it's money in the bank when you have to yeah. later withdraw some parenting <laughs> capital. wisdom capital yeah, right. upon them, right? You yeah. have these wonderful, these bonding moments, these moments of connection. They feel seen. They feel heard. You lean in with empathy. It looks like you're having a hard time right now. I get it. It makes sense that you feel that way. There's the empathy. And then you can you know, invite some gentle questioning like, well, what's up? What are you thinking about right now? Yeah. So you don't have to clamp down. In fact, they're going to rise up. But if you think about behavior as communication, so when you see behaviors you don't like as a parent, which all day long, right, um, you can think about what's going on for your kids. So it is about mm. connecting not only with interests, but also connecting with their experience. Yeah. It sounds like so much of what you talk about, and you said this at the beginning, is mind shift. And I suppose some people may just have the preternatural ability to be objective and, and witness themselves. Other people like me have had to cultivate that ability, you know, over years and years of developing a practice. For me, it's a meditation practice. I dip in and out of how assiduously I follow that practice. But when, you know, when I am dropped in, I do have the ability to have to be able to almost sit above myself and witness myself and the way and my behaviors and be able to witness obviously my thoughts and emotions and uh, as things that I don't identify with that can come and go. Um, and in order, I think, to have this mind shift that you're talking about, for me, at least, it's very, very necessary to have some sort of practice that takes me out of the reactive 
and puts me more into detached is not really the right word, but at least in more of a thoughtful, responsive place. I think you hit on actually one of the most practical things parents can do in this pandemic. Um, when we think about our kids' behavior or them stressed, we think about, you know, what can we do for our kids and what can we teach them? But really, if you can cultivate your own parental pause button, mm. which is your kid is doing something that you don't like or they are not following through on a task that you think they can do, they're not finishing their work or they're having a hard time. If you can use, say, a mindful practice um, right before you react, like you said, that detachment, it's cultivating your inner pause button. And the one practice that has been one of my fan favorites is actually blends all of these things. It cultivates pause and it leans into empathy as well. And I call it uh, the one for me, one for you breath. So if there's a parenting moment in which everybody is stressed, you take a deep breath and that one's for you. You first. Yeah. Put your oxygen mask on first. (laughs) And then one for you. You are having a hard time. One million for me, one for you. No, (laughs) one for me, one for you. And there's something even just one breath can give you enough pause before you react because one of the things that is so fascinating, um, and I've written a couple of books on conscious parenting, and the conscious parenting literature, literature, it talks about how we have these sort of default networks of how we were parented. And so if you were, you know, fortunate enough to be raised in an environment in which when you made a mistake or acted out, your parents leaned in with empathy, understanding, and compassion, that's going to be your default network. Um, and maybe you weren't. Maybe your parents leaned in with guilt or shame or blame or uh, clamping down, right? And and that's just the way you were raised. So as a conscious parent, that mindfulness gives you a moment to take a different decision. Do I want to lean in with empathy or do I want to say, oh my God, you should know better. It's not that hard. Just do your word sort, right? If you have that mental pause button, and I think a mindfulness practice can cultivate that awareness so that you can pause before responding, you can be so much more intentional. And I think the beautiful thing about the conscious parenting world is that you then are giving your child the gift of being self-compassionate one day. Your words become their inner monologue. So Mm. if you are blaming and shaming, and I'm not saying this is bad parenting, And under stress, we are more likely to go to that default mode. And I have certainly had moments where I'm helicoptering above myself being like, what am I saying? Why am I doing this? I know better. But um, stress has hijacked my frontal lobe. And without mindfulness, I can't get back to that calm place to parent. And I think that's a real gift we can give our kids as well, which is cultivating that pause button so that we can respond in a way that is consistent with how we want to parent. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Um, one last question or two, um, cause you've had a full day. Um, if there is any job more stressful than just being a parent right now, it's probably being a teacher. Um, and like we talked about early in our discussion, there's very little playbook for what's going on. And teachers have had to adapt to a whole variety of technological systems, but really more than that, just like their own stress and their own challenges. And I mean, I've seen some teachers just, I mean, these people are heroes. They're just, you know, making Herculean efforts um, to keep their students engaged and keep them learning in the most difficult of circumstances. So I know you work a lot with teachers. So I would ask you uh, a question kind of from two angles. What is your advice to teachers? And then what is your advice to parents in their interaction with teachers? Yes, for teachers... I think that it's also relaxing their standards to a level appropriate for a global pandemic. Mm. 
it's having that self-compassion that they're doing the best they can under the circumstances and using the tools that they have. And I think that teachers, one of the things that's so challenging for teachers is the thing they love most about teaching is that child interaction that in some ways is really hard to um, do over Zoom. I think that teachers can focus on their bigger why right now. Their job is to make students feel connected, seen. And even if they don't get to the content, if they can do what my daughter's kindergarten teacher did, which is that parade was so special to her. Um, Shout out to my daughter's fourth grade teacher, (laughs) Ms. Wenzel. She did special Zoom calls with my daughter because she didn't feel comfortable going to office hours. She had scavenger hunts in their own house for all these things. She connected with my daughter. They both are Harry Potter freaks. They both love Harry Potter. They connected and bonded over that. And so on their special Zoom calls, she was like, show me your Harry Potter Legos that you built. And you could see my daughter light up. And so it folds into the next thing, which is what parents can do. And that is support and communicate appreciation. Mm, yeah. At the very beginning, send an email saying, look, I know this is not what you signed up for. I know this is so hard. If you need anything, let me know. I don't know what I could do, but I, I'm here and I really, really appreciate what you're doing. And then periodically, if your child gives positive feedback or your teacher goes the extra mile, like I emailed the principal when um, my daughter's teacher did something extra. And I said, just so you know, your teachers are amazing. And just think about how that would feel as a teacher. Like you are working your butt off and our society is putting all of these like added expectations on you that are not always realistic in this moment. Um, And you're getting a lot of judgment about how you're doing it. If you as a parent can see and empathize with teachers and give them positive praise and collaborate with them, man, that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. It really makes teachers day. I mean, and principals too, by the way. Look, no one goes to the principal and be like, everything is going fabulous. I just wanted to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Ever. We no. all as humans really benefit from validation and people noticing that we're trying really hard and that we're doing our very best. And if they may not see right now the impact they're having on our kids in a positive way, but if you do as a parent, like when my girl lit up because she got to show her her Harry Potter castle or my other one lit up because she got to see her teacher in a parade. I wanted to share that with them because they didn't get to see that. They don't get that positive, warm, fuzzy stuff that they get in the classroom. Classroom. It's disconnected. So as a parent, I think we owe it to teachers to really um, go the extra mile to let them know we appreciate what they're doing. Mm, That's a beautiful thought. I'm going to make a note of that personally because I can be very negligent in that regard of expressing my appreciation um, to my children's teachers, just, you know, because I'm busy and not thinking about it. But I think, but I'm changing now. Yes. Just because of you. Thank you. Um, And you can, every time you can do some sort of emotional trigger, like when you get a district email about some district thing, after you delete that, there's your cue to do a nice email (laughs) to your teacher, right? It's a one for a a trade-off, right? So it can be a cue that um, when you get some sort of reminder, an anchor, (laughs) some sort of district email, that that's a cue to reach out to your teachers and give them a little extra. Uh, A a a positive association instead of just more spam in my Mm -hmm. inbox. Um, Okay. A personal question to round out our discussion. So you're a mom, you're uh, a spouse, a partner. Um, you're an entrepreneur, you're an author, you're a psychologist, you've got a lot going on and you are now, your work is now, your work has always been important, but potentially now more prescient than ever before. So how are you managing? I know you don't believe in work-life balance per se, um, you know, work-life integration or however, you know, you want to frame it. But how are you 
being able to manage the moment of being present in all of these different realms and also having your work be more socially important than it than maybe you even ever imagined it would be yeah i think it's a really important question and i'm going to go on record that school psychologists are like how doctors make the worst patients <laughs> school psychologists <laughs> and i have um, a, a community a course in community for school psychologists called the thriving school psychologists collective and it's built on the the premise that school psychologists are actually quite high um, prone to burnout mm. and there's not enough of us And so the course is built around, you know, you know, give yourself the oxygen mask so you can give to others and things like that. And in that work, which is so important to me, I'm actually keeping myself accountable because I need to walk the walk and talk the talk too. I can't tell all of my school psychologists, students, like you really should take time for you. And then I don't for myself. Right. So first off, they keep me honest. Um, but second off, I have a meditation that since the pandemic, and actually one of my school psychologists gave it to me, um, a meditation that I do each morning for grounding. And it's this, what is one thing I want to do today? One thing, I have a million things I want to do, just I'll go on record there. But what is the most important thing? One task that I need to get done today. And that task actually could be around my family. I really need to like sit down and get on the rug with the girls and do a puzzle, right? It's one thing that's my priority for the day. The second piece of the meditation is what is one thing I will let go of? And this one is the hard one mm-hmm. because I, um, I really enjoy knocking out things on a to-do list. There's something really satisfying about post-it gal. And after I'm done with it, there's something very sensory satisfying about crumbling it up that I've done it, right? So I am by inherently like a very much of a doer and I like to do things. And so I always have to figure out what am I going to let go of today? Because I can't do it all. And it turns out being a mom and being a distance learning teacher and a school psychologist are three different jobs that I can't do 100%. And so for me, the let go is the really, really important part of it. I'm going to let go of my crazy inbox. I'm going to let go of the fact that I'm not going to be able to get to X, Y, or Z today. The problem as being a helping professional as a school psychologist, if there's teachers out there too, is burnout doesn't always look like disengagement. Oh, I'm phoning it in. Burnout can actually look like overworking. Yeah. I love this so much and I'm going to go, 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 go. So it's one thing that's a priority for the day, one thing to let go of, and then the one gratitude that I have. And I start my day with that. And this is a mental activity I do while I'm still like lounging around is I run through that in my head because I know that when you start your day with gratitude instead of with your phone of like what's the latest thing that is happening that is bad, your brain is primed after you see something positive to scan for more positive so for me, it's this push and pull between, you know, information's not transformation, right? I know I should, you know, do more self-care and I know I should, yeah. you know, do all the things I teach my school psychologists and parents and families and teachers to do. Yeah. Um, but it's really about how do you build it into your day so that it's, for me anyway, it's routinized. This is a thing that I'm always right. doing each morning. And so it's about kind of being intentional um, and I think also giving myself grace when I don't, don't when I <laughs> don't follow the plan. Yeah. Um, and, and that's hard. And it's hard for a lot of families out there who like to do things really well. And in this moment in time, it's almost impossible to do everything well, to be a parent and a teacher and a homeschooler and a, you know, entrepreneur, whatever it is that you're doing in your life. So um, it is definitely um, what we call a spiraling curriculum. You learn it. And then you learn it again and again yeah. and again and again yeah. and again and again. And you just keep learning. So, yeah. And I suppose wisdom is being able to l- listen to your own advice. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode with Dr. Rebecca Brandstetter. To learn more about Rebecca's work, go to www.thrivingschoolpsych.com. 
And be sure to check out her new commune course called Peace of Mind Parenting at onecommune.com slash parenting. If you have any questions, comments, and suggestions for me, please feel free to email me at jeffk at onecommune.com. I try to respond to every message. That's all from the commune for this week. My name's Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.